You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader of the News and Observer, hosting this week. And with me are Andy Spey and Will Doran, also of the NNO, Lauren Horsch, and Colin Campbell of the North Carolina Insider. Uh, this week, we had more candidates declare for office now that it's becoming more clear what the districts for the legislature might look like. A crime lab is opening in the western part of the state that could help with um, backlogs of uh, forensics investigations. And uh, North Carolina politicians are taking sides on the sexual harassment cases uh, involving members of Congress and candidates for Congress uh, that are making big national news. Um, But Andy, let's start uh, by talking about uh, the tax plan, which is still in the news at the federal level. Um, You took a look at what North Carolina politicians are saying about it. Uh, Last week it was Tom Tillis. This week it was uh, Roy Cooper. And uh, really kind of similar uh, findings, right? Because uh, everybody seems to be speaking about this tax plan and saying uh, half of uh, what's really going on. That's right. That's because the tax, the Senate's tax plan, at least, uh, is good in the beginning uh, for many people. But then it sort of drops off, and by ten years from now, it's not so it's not so great for the majority of people, um, unless you're rich. Uh, and so Tillis last week, of course, said that if you make between thirty and seventy thousand dollars a year, uh, your taxes wouldn't go up. And he's right until 2027, when uh, a lot of the duc- deductions phase out. You won't. Uh, get to deduct things like, um, oh, I can't remember specific examples, but uh, we wrote about them. Um, you can check it out on newsobserver.com. Uh, in response to Tillis, uh, Roy Cooper wrote an op-ed on medium.com in which he declared that uh, a lot of, he said, I think half of the tax breaks in the Senate plan, uh, I think, and the House plan, he said, are going to the t- the wealthiest 1%, which is... Obviously, we heard about the 1% back when Occupy Wall Street was a thing. Uh, that's sort of a you know, political re- rhetoric that's stuck. Um, and uh, in looking into it, uh, you know, we, it, we looked at the same analyses from, that we did when we fact-checked Tillis and found that uh, he's right, but not until 2027. It's, a lot of people get tax breaks, not just the rich, uh, in the first, I would say, five to eight years. And then 10 years out, it does favor the rich about half, you know, depending which plan you're looking at, the House or the Senate, uh, about half of the tax breaks would go to people making, um, you know, more than a million. So uh, we gave him a, a half true for that, just like we did Tillis. And it's been interesting how a lot of people, uh, politicians, are trying to make the argument to link this to what's happened in North Carolina because uh, uh, our own Brian Murphy in D.C. had a story uh, talking about some of the politicians on either side that says this is very this has really strong parallels to what's happened here in North Carolina where they've uh, eliminated some deductions and streamlined the tax code and lowered rates and then people of course have very different ideas about what that's actually done in mm-hmm. in North Carolina and representative David Lewis wrote something in response to Cooper yesterday on medium.com I think it was in today's insider uh, Colin talked about Colin wrote about it and yeah so he's basically a rebuttal to the original Cooper medium post because apparently everyone's on medium now doing long form uh, arguments and rebuttals right uh, <laughs> but yeah the Lewis thing was made everyone except readers yeah yeah I don't, I don't know who you're actually reading <laughs> things on medium I know I'd, I've never gone to that site with 
explicitly looking for something fun to read. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lewis's response was uh, largely trying to debunk what he claimed was uh, factual misstatements by Cooper. Uh, most notably, I guess, the claim Cooper made that uh, Republicans had uh, raised taxes 67 different ways, which uh, Lewis says Cooper didn't really explain uh, what 67 ways he was talking about, but that Lewis suspects it relates to uh, closing loopholes in the tax system as a result of some of the changes that were made. You know, I actually uh, wrote a fact check about that back in 2016. Um, that was... Uh, yeah, I'd say that claim has been made a few times. Yeah, and there were... It, it, it's one of those kind of, you know, uh, uh, it, it's a bit of a, a nothing argument. There were 67 different... Uh, uh, basically categories that had uh, sales tax raised by the Republican tax bill here a few years ago. But barely, you know, barely anyone in daily life is going to come across more than one or two of them. You know, there's like taxes on fire extinguishers and taxes on boats and taxes on, you know, car repairs or things like that. So, um, you know, it's it was 67 individual things that got taxes raised on them, but the average person might you know, actually come across a couple of them, but definitely not all 67, unless you have very strange spending habits. <laughs> Didn't they broaden the, what, the number of things that are taxed to? So you broaden the tax base, but then lower it in sort of across the board. Um, so Andy, uh, while we're on the subject of national politics, uh, Al Franken is uh, maybe even as we speak preparing to make an announcement, and uh, there was reports that he's going to resign um, let's talk about him first, and then we can talk about uh, Roy Moore. Uh, what are North Carolina Democrats saying about Franken, and what were they saying um, before he uh, looked like he might step down? Uh, so Roy Cooper came out yesterday, I, I think it was Tuesday, and sent us a statement sort of broadly condemning harassment and saying it needed to be looked into. But he didn't go as far, so far as to say that Franken needed to resign. However, uh, the uh, minority leaders, the Senate minority leader, Dan Blue, uh, senior, I think, is, is he senior? Or junior, Dan, I think. Junior, yeah. Dan Blue, Jr., uh, and uh, the minority leader in the House, Darren Jackson, both came out and said he absolutely needs to resign, and there was no, no quibbling about it, um, which, you know, they are one step ahead of Republicans in the regard that they've at least come out and said something. We've reached out to, when, and, you know, on the other side, you have Roy Moore down in Alabama facing uh, accusations that he courted and perhaps inappropriately touched uh, teenage girls when he was 30. Um, the North Carolina GOP came out and said that they don't have a position on how Alabama uh, voters should elect their next senator, but uh, we haven't heard anything from uh, major Senate Majority Leader uh, Phil Berger, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore or uh, the Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. Uh, they've been quiet uh, about all that. So um, it's interesting to see Democrats speaking out while uh, Republicans stay quiet. And you asked uh, the state party to, the state, both state parties, about what they think about their respective uh, uh, people who are accused. Um, so uh, what did they say? Uh, Dallas is the one, Dallas Woodhouse is the one who got back to us on Roy Moore and said that they, the, the party won't make a statement about what you know, Moore should do. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Robert Howard, the uh, spokesman for the North Carolina Democratic Party, said that uh, Franken needs to be invest, su submit to an ethics investigation. That's what they supported. Um, 
you know, it, it, he may not even come to that depending on what more, whatever Franken is saying, as you said, on the floor right now. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, Democrats coming out and in, in various taking various positions, at least going on the record, and Republicans staying quiet. With the exception of Pat McCrory, I should note, who was on his uh, daily radio show and was asked about Roy Moore and said something to the effect of uh, he thinks that uh, in this case um, uh, morals are, are getting trumped by uh, the political realities here of you know, people trying to make sure that Republicans have all the seats they want in the Senate. Interesting. All right. Well, um, we had a few candidate announcements. Uh, Colin, uh, why don't you run through some of the latest? So um, we have a couple primary challengers, uh, uh, two Republicans. Yeah, this was interesting because I think sort of the, the overarching narrative we've seen for a while now is this idea that uh, you're going to have more Democrats running against Republican incumbents and trying to break the supermajority or break the majority. Uh, but this week, the filings that uh, we saw uh, go through the State Board of Elections uh, were largely from Republicans who are challenging other Republicans in the primaries. Um, one of the notable ones is um, in uh, Representative Michael Speciali's district, where Speciali, always in the news for various comments, including his uh, support for Roy Moore most recently, uh, and definitely one of the more uh, outspoken uh, conservative members of the legislature. He is getting challenged by a fellow uh, Marine Corps veteran, a guy named Eric Queen, uh, who also lives in New Bern. Um, Queen has served in Afghanistan, uh, recently retired as a military police services chief at uh, Cherry Point in Havelock. Uh, the Queen campaign website so far does not mention anything about speciality, so it's hard to tell if this is a guy who's trying to run to the right of speciality, which I think would be hard, or someone who's perhaps trying to uh, create a, a more mainstream alternative to uh, a Republican alternative to uh, speciality's candidacy. But he does note on his website that uh, citizens do not deserve uncontested primary elections. Uh, a little bit closer to home. Uh, a couple it, Marines, right? Yeah, so, so both Marines going at each other in a Republican primary, so it should be a fascinating race to watch. Uh, another one uh, a little bit closer to home here in Wake County is House District 37, which is uh, this is the district that used to be uh, Skip Stam's district. It's now represented by uh, Linda Williams, a Republican who had previously been on the I think the Holly Springs Town Council. Um, we haven't heard I don't think yet whether she's definitely running for re-election. Um, we haven't heard that she's not, uh, but there's a political consultant by the name of Darren Eustence from Apex, who is a Republican and has launched a campaign, uh, was looking for information on him. I hadn't heard of him prior to this, but um, he was uh, a recent speaker at the East Wake Republican Club, where he was billed as the uh, chief opposition researcher for the NCGOP and other Republican groups. I don't think he's on staff for the GOP, but may have done some consulting work for them. Uh, so that should be an interesting race to watch. And then uh, we don't know a whole lot about the challenger down in uh, the Gaston County area. A Republican named Charlene High from uh, the town of Dallas is uh, going to be running uh, for the seat held by another Republican incumbent, uh, Representative Kelly Hastings, um, from that seat. And then uh, on the Democratic side, we do have one uh, potential primary challenge, and that involves uh, State Senator Joel Ford, the Democrat from Charlotte who uh, recently fell short in his bid for Charlotte mayor. Um, he's going to be challenged uh, apparently by a guy named Mujtaba Mohammed, whose name I probably didn't pronounce correctly, uh, who's an attorney and has served as uh, vice chairman of the Mecklenburg County uh, Democratic Party. A couple uh, pretty seemingly pretty big uh, races in Wake County between um, Republicans and Democrats that will help uh, shape the um, the majorities in the legislature. One is um, in Senator Barringer's district and one is in um, Representative Dollar's district. Um, Andy, what's going on um, with Nelson Dollar's district? 
we have a couple people uh, vying to unseat him. Uh, one of them is Jen Farrell, who faced him in 2016, and um, I. She is editor of Carry Life magazine. Uh, she lost, I can't, be, I can't remember the percentage points, but I think it, she lost by about 1,400 votes to Dollar. Um, Dollar uh, is a chief uh, budget writer for Republicans, and so he's sort of a key figure, but has always campaigned as a moderate, um, although she says that that's sort of a farce, that he votes with uh, some of the most right-wing people in the uh, legislature, her words. Um, but uh, she's not the only one that is coming out uh, to try to challenge him, you know, depending on what the maps are. Matt Calabria, a county commissioner from, I think he lives around Fuquay, uh, said that he also plans to challenge Dollar. And Calabria's younger. I think he's in his early 30s. But uh, he's best known for his work on the, uh, the Wake County Board of Commissioners um, to get the Wake County Transit Plan passed last year, um, which uh, will eventually uh, create a rail line between Raleigh and Durham um, and maybe Chapel Hill someday, uh, but also uh, add buses in Raleigh and um, sending them out to the extremities of the county. Um, so uh, that ought to be interesting. You know, Calabria has, I, I don't know how much name recognition, but he's definitely more of a party figure. He's involved in, par you know, party politics. He uh, is in Raleigh a lot. He's an attorney. Farrell uh, is, uh, lives in Apex and is seen more as an, an advocate for uh, education. Um, not that Calabria is not, but that's sort of her uh, area of expertise. She says that uh, teachers and schools are getting shortchanged. So it ought to be interesting today. Uh, Henry Jarvis. that district to be more democratic, right? Uh, it Bernoses. depends on what you look at. Yeah, the, the, the Republican Repu maps. Yeah, the Republican yeah. maps passed in August, I think, do give Dollar a, a slight edge to keep his seat. But the special master maps, which go back largely to the current configuration of the district with a few perhaps minor changes, um, favors Democrats based on the election results from the 2016 governor's race. Uh, granted, in the current configuration, Jen Farrell fell short in that. Uh, but a lot of that's based on the fact that she wasn't uh, the best-funded candidate uh, in the race. Certainly Nelson Dollar, um, by being the House Budget Chairman, gets a lot of uh, fundraising uh, abilities and a lot of big donations. Uh, so if the Democrats run uh, a candidate like Calabria, who perhaps uh, has stronger backing from the party, or or if the party uh, goes further in for Farrell if you're in the primary, um, I, I think that could be one of the most competitive races in Wake County. She sent a statement to our uh, reporter, our Raleigh City Council and Wake County Board reporter, Henry Gargan, just moments ago because we've been trying to keep up with that race, saying that she that Calabria is a smooth talker who says he supports education but didn't fully fund the Wake County Public Schools budget request last year. So she'll definitely be, uh, it, it sounds like, attacking him. And you already um, have Republicans sort of going after him, most notably Brent Woodcox, who's sort of a uh, attorney for the Republican legislators, but also an active figure in local politics who's taking issue with Calabria supporting a, the purchase of an old golf course near his home uh, that's going to be turned into a park. Uh, so that could become an issue for Republicans if uh, Calabria uh, ends up getting the nomination. Could be. It, it ought to be interesting. Um, Calabria is someone, as are many of the Wake County uh, board Democrats, who has, everyone has assumed um, would run for higher office at some point. Um, it's interesting that it's now. Um, 
but it seems like Democrats are going to pull out all the stops to try to break the supermajority. And uh, it seems like West, Southwest Wake is kind of ground zero for some of the um, big races because uh, Senator Berenger, is she from Cary? I believe she Yeah, she lives in Cary. Yeah, she's um, also um, got a well, very well-funded. Yeah, challenges. so this is a guy we've heard a lot about recently, Sam Searcy, who uh, had been running in the 2nd Congressional District against George Holding in what it has turned out to be a fairly crowded um, Democratic primary uh, for that seat. He just announced this week he's going to drop out of that race um, and instead is going to be uh, running in the for state senate in Tamara Beringer's district, uh, and he's already said um, within his first organizational report he'll have five hundred thousand dollars in that race. He didn't really explain how that's going to work because you can't necessarily directly transition money from a federal campaign account where he's already raised about half a million uh, to a state. Uh, although I will note a lot of his money does come from himself. Uh, he's uh, highly self-funded, so it should be fairly easy for him to uh, pay himself back from the congressional account, put that money in towards his senate bid. Um, and, and get that off the ground, but certainly uh, something the Democrats are excited about having him in that race with the, the fundraising prowess he has and uh, sort of takes him out of uh, what could be a kind of bruising primary for Democrats in the second congressional race. Um, his move, I think, leaves Linda Coleman, the uh, former candidate for lieutenant governor, former legislator, uh, as probably the best-known candidate. Uh, for the second con congressional district's uh, Democratic primary, and she's now got the backing of uh, G.K. Butterfield and Alma Adams uh, from the uh, North Carolina congressional delegation as well. And he's a uh, he runs a vodka, or at least founded a, a vodka yeah, distillery. Yeah, vodka right? distillery based out of Durham. They make something called um, Bedlam Vodka, which apparently has gotten a lot of traction recently with like being at the Country Music Awards or something. So. Uh, He's certainly had some success in business and uh, is probably going to be running on, on that sort of platform. One thing that I, uh, that's curious to me is, you know, if you have money like Cersei does, you don't aim low, you aim high, which he did originally. And I don't think we've gotten a straight answer for why he's going from, uh, you know, from, yeah. a, from a U.S. You know, congressional I, race. I asked him, and he kind of dodged about, uh, basically when I asked him why go from congressional to the Senate, he said, you know, I'm interested in the governor's plan to break the supermajority. I think we may be able more than, more than that. We could actually break the Republican majority and get a Democratic majority. Uh, and then I asked, you know, did the crowded nature of that primary have anything to do with it? And he kind of dodged me on that question. I will note that the Democratic Party, the North Carolina Democratic Party, is is fairly uh, strongly putting resources behind his uh, Senate bid. So I almost wonder if there wasn't some encouragement to, um, again, keep that congressional primary from getting too uh, bitterly fought, because ultimately if you, if Coleman and uh, Searcy were to have some kind of slugfest in the uh, Democratic primary, that makes it a lot harder for Democrats to beat Holding in the fall. All right. Well, Lauren, you went out to see uh, uh, lawmakers test drive cars, right? Except test drive isn't really the right <laughs> word, because these were driverless cars. So what do you call yeah, it? Mostly. Uh, so they're, ride? I mean, they, they were riding along. I would call them ride alongs um, because there was only one vehicle they could actually get into the driver's seat of and kind of test it out. Well, there were other cars, but there was only one car they could get into and take out onto the road. So we were meeting, this was Monday morning. We met at this North Carolina State Highway Patrol, Patrol test track, which is a really neat facility where they'll often take, um, you know, people training to be a state highway patrolman or woman out to, you know, learn the basics of driving the patrol vehicles. Um, so there, um, they brought out a ton of autonomous vehicles. And so there's different levels of quote unquote driverless cars, but we call them autonomous vehicles in the General Assembly. So you can have these different levels 
So I think they had up until a level four, and it goes level one to level five. So level four means that they're semi-autonomous, so you still need someone in the driver's seat to kind of take control in case someone something bad happens. Um, so there was one vehicle they were able to take out onto um, I-40 and drive around and kind of see what it's like to be in a, the driver's seat of a driverless car. Um, and so basically what happens is the computer kind of takes over and says, oh, I can." the computer can read you know, the lane markings, and they have sensors all over the car to see where there are other vehicles on the road. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out as well as they wanted, not because the computers didn't work, but because there was too much road construction. So these cars are built to kind of have an override where if they don't understand their surroundings, the driver then takes control and, you know, can drive it. And so I got the chance to ride along in a Tesla that did have some auto driving features. Um, they called it autopilot. So basically it's meant for highway driving where you can go on any highway and kind of set it to autopilot and it can get you from point A to point B with minimal effort from a driver. Um, and so they have a lot of cool features like they can um, sense cruise control. So you can set like, oh, I want to be two car lengths away from the car ahead of me and it'll read that car's speed along with your speed and adapt to if that person slows down. Your your car will slow down too, and it has lane control to make sure you stay in the same lane. And this was this is really a testing ground for a lot of the lawmakers because they hadn't seen this. I mean, it, most of us are used to maybe cars having self-parking features. I think that might be the one thing a lot of autonomous vehicles have these days that we're most used to as regular car consumers. Um, but so this was just a time for them to experience what a fully or a semi-autonomous vehicle could be and what that could mean for drivers in North Carolina. And they did recently pass a bill, um, House Bill 469, that kind of just set basic ground rules for, you know, what vehicles can be on the road and how companies can bring those cars to North Carolina and they can drive them legally. Um, and that also created a North Carolina Department of Transportation Committee that will then follow up on this new technology and see if we need to update those laws and, you know, what needs to change, because there's a lot that needs to be changed. Um, Kevin Lacey, who's the state traffic engineer um, in NCDOT, did say the DOT is working very hard to make sure lane markings are, you know, clear for people and there are better signage for the computers and humans to read because as soon as we update our roads for these computers, they'll be better for those human drivers like myself and all of us here in this room who don't have fancy cars because they are expensive. Um, they can add, you know, 7000 to $10,000 more in cars to have autonomous features. Was it DOT or was it the car makers? Who was setting up the lawmakers? It was, these so drives? it was set up by the General Assembly, but there were automakers, so we did have... Uh, GM, Tesla, I forget all of them, but there was about five or six different car companies there as long, uh, as well as um, a group of NC State engineering students who are creating something called like an echo port, uh, which can you get two people in the little port and it takes you from point A to point B in campus. So it wasn't just, you know, these self-driving cars. It was also electric vehicles because they also had an ELF, which is a solar-powered vehicle, which you kind of operate with a bike, but it also runs on solar power, and those are really popular around Durham. Um, but yeah, so it was set up by the General Assembly, but with a ton of um, corporations in hand to show off their technology. Which so, lawmaker was the best driver? Oh, I don't. I did not. So I got in the car with one lawmaker, uh, Rosa Gill, but she was not driving. Uh, we were testing out the self-parking capabilities. Uh, but John Torbett, um, who's a representative from Gaston County and the chair of the House Select Committee on long-term transportation funding and another 
title that's on there. It's a really long committee name. Um, he got behind the wheel of one of the driverless cars and took it on to 40. And he liked the technology, but it didn't work well, be- again, because of the road construction. Um, but I did not feel like I needed to put myself in a situation where a lawmaker was driving me around. Um, but they did want me to. I didn't end up going on just because of time constraints. So, so did it seem like they liked this stuff? Because, I mean, they're going to have to vote eventually on whether or not we allow this stuff here. So is that... Oh, yeah, they, uh, I know at least I, talking with Torbett, I mean, most of the lawmakers love it. Um, he's very excited about it. He said this was like the biggest, you know, technological shift since the horseless buggy. Um, that was, that was his big talking (laughs) point. I saw it in like multiple newspapers and camera uh, live shots from TV stations. Um, but they're pretty much in favor of it because it is, you know, they're saying it's safer than human drivers because a computer can react faster than a human driver so you know if you're on you know say i-40 i travel i-40 all day and i get distracted by all sorts of things like cars (laughs) slowing down like three lanes away you know whatever's on the side of the road or oh a new sign um and so those computers don't get distracted like humans do so it does cut down on highway fatalities and distracted driving and all sorts of other safety concerns all right uh will uh you wrote about a new crime lab uh, opening up in the western part of the state. There already was one, but uh, this is a lot bigger and uh, a lot more people will work there. So what is that going to allow um, the state to do? Yeah, this is a new facility out in uh, Henderson County, but it's actually going to help uh, not just the western part of the state, but really everywhere. Um, uh, the criminal justice system, as probably plenty of people know, is uh, goes at a very slow pace. And one reason for that is it takes a very long time to process evidence. You know, one case you might have dozens of different pieces of evidence, and it can take months for each piece of evidence to get tested at the crime lab. So, Are you sure, it's not like CSI. I see. They, I thought they could turn things around uh, in a day or so. In one episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not at all like CSI. Um, I've heard the prosecutors actually hate CSI because it gives jurors this inflated sense of, well, everything should just be perfect and easy and clear, and you know, that's not actually how it works. But anyways, so yeah, this it's this new. Uh, facility out in Henderson County. It costs $16 million to build. Obviously, will cost several million more to staff. They're going to have 10 DNA analysts out there, some people who can do uh, drug analysis to kind of help, uh, you know, speed up uh, opioid cases and things like that. Um, and this has been kind of a fight that's been going on for a few years um, between uh, the Attorney General's office and the legislature trying to get funding for this. And it uh, started under Cooper, who's obviously not the governor, um, uh, Josh Stein got it uh, finished up, and he was very thankful to the legislature for, uh, you know, finally agreeing to appropriate this money, and also to Cooper to uh, get it set up. But right, uh, which is which is a little rare for him to be thankful for them on the on his budget, considering they've been slashing his budget in other ways. Exactly, exactly. Um, this was, uh, you know, the the budget cuts he got mostly hit staff positions, and uh, I, I believe probably mostly uh, attorney positions. Um, and you know, this is a you know, a, a crime lab is a obviously a very clearly pro-law enforcement kind of thing, so I think it was a little easier for some of the Republican legislators to get behind. Um, but one big thing that this is going to help do is help clear the backlog of rape kits that we have in this state. Um, there's been long-documented problems with how police agencies have handled evidence from rapes and sexual assaults. Um, uh, I 
think it was last year, the Charlotte Observer figured out that the Charlotte Police Department had uh, thrown out or destroyed something like a thousand of these rape kits that they've had over the past decade or so, which was, as far as anyone can tell, the biggest destruction of this sort of evidence anywhere in the country. Um, and, you know, I mean, that, that means that, you know, serial rapists might not get found now, you know, cold cases might not get solved, things like that. Um, in Fayetteville recently, they tested a bunch of years old rape kits and ended up arresting more than 20 people from uh, cases, you know, people who had just been walking around free and then suddenly their DNA popped up, um, you know, as a made them a prime suspect in an unsolved rape case. Um, so this is going to allow that to move a lot faster. Um, and uh, it also, you know, just the, not just the new people, but just the physical distance. You know, right now, if, you know, if you get sexually assaulted in Asheville, the police detective has to drive that evidence to Raleigh which is, you know, a eight-hour round trip to make that drive there and back. Um, and then, you know, the scientist who analyzes that evidence, whenever if there's ever a trial, has to drive from Raleigh to Asheville to testify, and that's going to take several days out of their time. In the meantime, evidence is going to keep piling up. Um, so now having all these people in the western part of the state is really going to cut down on uh, travel times, both for police and for the scientists testifying at trial, and uh, just by adding a lot more scientists to the staff, uh, their hope is that it'll speed it up. Uh, right now, there's something like an average of seven to eight month turnaround time for every piece of evidence. Um, some go faster, some go slower, but that's the average. Uh, the AG's office told me the goal is to get it down to around three months eventually. So basically cut it in half or even better. Um, that's their hopes, at least. So we'll see if that happens. Okay. And the people who are uh, newer to the state or haven't been paying attention to this might not know there's a sort of a long history at the state crime lab of problems, and uh, it's even been moved from agency to agency, um, or, or the, it's no longer part of the SBI now. And so there's sort of this long history here of, of accusations of mishandling and delays. And yeah, basically back in the 90s when forensic evidence like DNA and things like that got a lot more prevalent, um, we handled it very poorly. Um, ended up with about 230 cases uh, being called into question by an audit. Uh, several people uh, exonerated uh, because it turned out that, you know, analysts had, you know, not exactly given fully true testimony in court. Um, we, we at the NNO wrote a huge... Uh, series uh, investigative stories about it um they uh they say that they've cleaned up their act now and we haven't heard of as many nearly as many issues as existed back in the 90s and the early 2000s um so uh yeah it looks like they're trying to put their best foot forward all right well let's take a quick break and then come back with headliner of the week please stay with us Every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. Be the someone who gives their time. Be the someone who lends an ear. Be the someone who takes a step. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, asking you to join the fight against sexual violence and volunteer in your community. Log on to RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G, to learn how you can be the someone. This message brought to you by the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network and this station. Welcome back to Domecast, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment where we pick the most important person in this week's news. It's time for Headliner of the Week. 
Uh, Will Doran, why don't you go first? Who's your headliner of the week? My headliner is Purple State, a new beer from Full Steam in Durham. Uh, it is made with some purple-colored North Carolina ingredients um, and is u- being used to raise money for anti-gerrymandering stuff. Um, as the name suggests, uh, it's an homage to the fact that we are kind of a swing state, not really fully Democrat, fully Republican, but, you know, if you look at the makeup of our congressional delegation and the North Carolina General Assembly, you would not believe that we are a swing state. You would think that we are a heavily Republican state. Um, so they believe that that is due to gerrymandering, that that is bad, and so uh, anyone who goes to full steam and orders a pint of purple state, uh, the brewery will donate a dollar to Common Cause, which is the... Uh, the nonprofit that's been fighting gerrymandering stuff for a long time here in North Carolina. Um, they have quite a bit of experience attempting to do this. And it's something that, you know, obviously hasn't really gone anywhere in the past, but seems to be picking up more steam lately. So, uh, full steam now. Yeah. <laughs> this is the second brewery. Cause it didn't, what was it trophy that has the big anti gerrymandering mural recently? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the trophy guys painted, um, huge mural on the side of their building uh, that, you know, has some of our very heavily gerrymandered districts on it. Um, yeah, I guess it's one issue you can get behind that doesn't necessarily alienate an entire political party because there are supporters of gerrymandering reform, both on the Republican and Democratic side. So it, yeah, um, Representative Chuck McGrady, Republican, was at a uh, brewery out in Hendersonville, where he's from, a couple weeks ago uh, with Common Cause doing some anti-gerrymandering stuff. So it's got bipartisan support, and, you know, people can honestly say, I, you know, Democrats did this beforehand, you know, and will do it again if they ever take power unless we fix it. So uh, so it's, it is a bipartisan thing, although, you know, right now it has partisan hues. Right. Purple state made with uh, purple potatoes and uh, what else? Uh, I think some uh, some el- elderberries. Elderberries. None of the uh, ingredients of purple drink, though, right? Like, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> classic <laughs> soda. <laughs> to be distinguished between purple drink. It's <laughs> purple state. Okay, all right. Purple state in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, Colin Campbell, you've got the mic. Who's right. your headliner of the week? I am going with former Governor Pat McCrory, who we mentioned earlier. He just can't quite stay out of the news in part because he's on the radio for an hour every morning on a radio station down in Charlotte uh, where he's got this. I think it's a temporary gig. I think he said this week he's uh, probably going to do at least through this month, uh, maybe longer, just depending on other uh, career opportunities he, he may have in the future. Uh, but this week he... Um, uh, scored a bit of a win on on the uh, Pat McCrory as journalist side of things. Uh, he was able to get uh, the new Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles on his show uh, the morning after she was sworn in, so uh, perhaps one of the first uh, sit-down interviews that she did since becoming mayor. Uh, after she left the, uh, the program, he then uh, spent about 20 minutes discussing an incident that occurred uh, when he was eating out at a pancake restaurant recently, uh, I think earlier this week, uh, when someone came up to him and basically cussed him out uh, through all sorts of insults at him uh, that McCrory couldn't say on the air without violating some FCC rules. Um, and what was interesting about this was that McCrory was uh, he was 
uh, asking the listeners to the show to call in with sort of how he should respond in these situations. What's the best way to, to deal with that? And McCrory admitted that at one point during this uh, situation, he, he really thought about, in his words, getting physical. Uh, and he, he said he was glad he didn't do that because he realized that would be, you know, the next day's newspaper headlines. Uh, but he had this great quote that we used in our uh, You Don't Say at the Top of the Insider, which we've uh, been doing for almost 25 years now of the collecting the best quotes of the day. And McCrory's quote was, uh, I wanted to come back and the more I thought about it, deal with him. Just man to man, mano a mano, which you, you don't hear like near fighting words from an ex-governor every day. So uh, I'm, I'm picking Pat McCrory as my headliner this week. All right. Pat McCrory, former governor. I think he needs to do a Twitter poll to uh, to ask people how he should respond. You know, not just a radio call-in thing. But, uh. Yeah. I mean, I, Twitter polls work. I used it to uh, determine whether I should buy a light-up Christmas tree hat for upcoming Christmas parties. And I was told uh, overwhelmingly yes, so uh, that's in the mail from Amazon right now. <laughs> Twitter polls work, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily for putting your uh, your physical safety in danger, though. Yeah, um, we do not condone violence here at Domecast, <laughs> and we're pleased that the governor chose to simply respond by saying, God bless you, uh, you need to clean up your language. <laughs> All right, Pat McCrory, former governor, uh, in the hat for headliner of the week. I'm guessing we'll have many opportunities uh, be- uh, to, uh, to honor... Pat McCrory in headliner because he is uh, making news daily on the radio there. You know, we get, uh, I have, I'm sure you guys do too, emails and calls from people who say, why do you keep covering Pat McCrory? It's because he won't go away and he might come back. You never know. He might be running against Cooper in 2020. He's not ruled that out yet and is still considering it. So his his various utterances are still newsworthy and I think will continue to be until he's definitively retired from politics. All right. So we have... McCrory and Purple State. Lauren Horsch, who's your headliner of the week? So I'm going to go with um, U.S. Representative Ted Budd, who represents uh, North Carolina's 13th district, 13th district. And I'm doing this because uh, he and his campaign staff pulled off some A-plus trolling yesterday. Um, so yesterday, Kathy Manning, who is a Democrat, announced that she was going to run against Ted Budd in the uh, 13th district. And she's from Greensboro, and she's known for being a big fundraiser for Democrats, or she donates a lot of money, I should say, to Democrats. And so Ted Budd's campaign decided, let's buy up some domain names. So they bought up two web domains that reference Kathy Manning. I do believe one is Kathy Manning 4, F-O-R-N-C.com. And then I think they just have Kathy Manning NC.com too. Um, so they bought those web domains and put their logo, Ted Budd for Congress, up there and then, you know, described the real Kathy Manning and then tied her to Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton and all sorts of other big Democrats. And then I just saw that there's also now a parody Twitter account for the real Kathy Manning and all of her exploits as a Democratic donor. Um, so, yeah, Ted Budd and his campaign because they are good at campaign trolling, and I think we need a little bit more fun in the campaign cycle, so... Lock, okay. lock down your domain names, people. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good lesson too. If you're going to run for office, get your domain names up. Otherwise, us journalists will uh, look at them beforehand and be tempted to buy them. So. Or set up your WordPress account if you already have bought the domain name. I, I looked up a candidate's website for legislature and uh, was greeted with a uh, prompt to set up the website for them, which uh, they probably don't want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> We went through this in the presidential race. There's a whole bunch of uh, candidates, Carly Fiorina and others, who ended up with uh, websites mocking them instead of their own websites under their names. 
All right, uh, we have one more uh, left. Uh, so that's that's Ted Budd, right? Not Kathy Manning in the hat for headliner of the week. So Ted Budd, Pat McCrory, and Purple State in the ha- in the hat for headliner of the week. Um, Andy Spay, you're up. Who's your headliner of the week? I'm gonna go with uh, Roy Moore, um, or more specifically, his spokeswoman, uh, whose name is wait for it, Janet Porter. Uh, and I'm going with Roy Moore and Janet Porter, uh, not because they're in the news every day, um, which they are at this point. You know, we ask local officials w- what their opinions are. But because uh, as of last night, when Porter was on CNN with Anderson Cooper, she referenced something that uh, relates back to North Carolina. Uh, Anderson Cooper asked, uh, you know, what if – why Moore and his spokeswoman don't believe the women who are coming forward about these accusations of sexual assault. And uh, Moore's spokeswoman uh, compared Moore to the Duke lacrosse players from the famous case where all of America looked at uh, our local university in Durham and said, you know, shame on you lacrosse players for – having and abusing this uh, stripper in their frat house or whatever it was. Um, and so uh, they ended up getting off, uh, those players did, um, af- and were falsely accused. Uh, so I, my headliner is more comparing himself to Duke lacrosse players and saying that uh, his accusers are lying and uh, the truth will perhaps set him free. All right, Janet Porter, Roy Moore spokeswoman in the hat for Headliner of the Week, along with Ted Budd, Pat McCrory, and Purple State. So now um, I have to um, consult the uh, Domecast records uh, <laughs> because if you... Now that we for, have those. For those who... For <laughs> Thanks, those, Brian. For those who tuned in to last week's episode, they may remember that um, we now have an official Domecast archivist, Brian Anderson, who has compiled the Domecast leaderboard of not only um, how many times each contestant has won Headliner of the Week, but also um, who their headliner was and how many times they've won. And I'm amazed to find that um, Pat McCrory has apparently only won one time, so I'm very tempted um, to do Pat McCrory. I wonder how many um, times he ran, though. I, I'm, guessing he was a, I'm guessing he was a contestant many times, but... Uh, he, he's not on the list, according to Brian Anderson, of uh, people who've won more than once, uh, which is amazing to me. But I think I'm going to have to go with um, Janet Porter, just because uh, she has been in the news so much this week, not only uh, with Duke Lacrosse, um, but um, talking about another CNN interviewer's unborn child. And um, she's just been all over um, the news and we've had a, a whole lot of North Carolina politicians need uh, uh, taking sides or not taking sides on on more. Um, so uh, Janet Porter is our headliner. Andy dodges a win, getting closer yes. to uh, overtaking your wife in the uh, Domecast stats. She's brings, still ahead of me. It brings Andy <laughs> to three uh, and a tie with Lauren Horse. So, yes. you know, this is making things interesting, too. And anyone who hasn't heard Janet Porter yet, I'm sure uh, you can watch Saturday Night Live this uh, in a future uh, weekend, and you'll see what she's like. Yes. All right. So uh, congratulations to Janet Porter and to Andy. Uh, that's it for Domecast this week. I'm Jordan Schrader for Andy Spay, Will Doran, Lauren Horsch, and Colin Campbell. Uh, catch us next week on Domecast. 
You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.